This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 22 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're joined by Grace from Women at Warp. How's it going, Grace? It's going great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, as is customary uh, with with <laughs> whenever we have a, a guest come on to the show, um, let's... let's Get a little info on your on your relationship with Star Trek. Now, I, I take it you've seen an episode or two in the past, maybe. Uh, you could say that. I work on a podcast that I co-host called Women at Warp, where we talk about women's issues and female perspectives of Star Trek. It's very fun stuff. We just started, but you can find us online at Women at Warp. You can find us on Twitter at Women at Warp, and you can find us on our Facebook page, Women at Warp. And of course, Women at Warp is right here on Trek FM and everything. But it, there, there's another uh, Star Trek show that you've worked on, right? No, I've also before that worked on All Things Trek on Trek Radio with my co-host and friend Oren Ashkenazi, who you can also find online. His writings are on Mythcreants, which is a blog that I also contribute to. Cool, cool. So, so when when did you first become interested in Trek? Has it been a lifelong thing? Well, or? I started watching it at a very young age. It was one of those things that was just kind of on on TV when I was home alone. So it was there, and I didn't start getting really into it until high school and college when I was out on my own and you know in need of a little science fiction inspiration, which is always great. Of course, and just kind of stuck with me. It was a phase that never ended. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, today we're going to be getting a new series on um, a, a couple of Star Trek creators. This is a bit different from what we normally do, uh, but um, Matthew on Twitter was uh, tweeting us, and he said, Hey, have you guys done Robert Block yet? And I said, mm-hmm. No, but you know, I've always had this idea to do a Robert Block-Joseph Stefano combo series, because... I always found it fascinating that Robert Block wrote the novel Psycho and Joseph Stefano wrote the movie Psycho. And then Robert Block went on to write for Star Trek, the original series. And Joseph Stefano went on to write for Star Trek, the next generation. And it's like this weird kind of, you know, dual thing. And it's both connects to Star Trek. And I don't know. I've I've always found that to be fascinating. Yeah. There's a a cycle of Star Trek and a cycle of murder that goes hand in hand. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yes. I present that to you without context. <laughs> but it's true. Um so yeah, you know, and and you know, John may not be able to be here for for this whole series and because of that, you know, I, I don't know, I I really thought that it would be a, a good idea to have someone here for the entire thing because there's it's going to be very intertwined. And uh, so Grace is going to be with us for the next few weeks as we get through this Robert Block-Joseph Stefano combo, uh, where today we're going to talk about uh, their work on Star Trek, and then next week we're going to talk about Block's book, and then the week after that, Stefano's movie, and then we'll talk about the two of them in relation to each other. So it should be fun times. And it's in October because it's Halloween and all that because stuff. Because it's Shocktober. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and as we'll find out today, um, anytime a Star Trek series of some sort does a Halloween episode, the results are always, like, spectacular. So, yeah. So, so let's, let's get right into this. Let's start with Robert Block. Um, just a little background. I, I found this quote, which I guess is a pretty famous quote, just to give you an idea of, of, of what this guy was like. He said, Despite my ghoulish reputation, I really have the heart of a small boy. I keep it in a jar on my desk. <laughs> Classic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was a, a Chicago guy, um, and he was a, a protege of Lovecraft, 
and he had written uh, a lot of novels and short stories, uh, and then he got into television stuff. But he had written like Psycho, the novel, back before he was really doing any any stuff for the screen. But he would later go on to write a bunch of uh, TV shows, in particular, including uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, I Spy, The Girl from Uncle, uh, Night Gallery, uh, and Tales from the Dark Side, and then of course. The Bates Motel, which exists now, is based on his book. So he definitely has a, a pretty a pretty big footprint in the world of television. And no, he also no wrote three episodes of the original series, including What Are Little Girls Made Of, Cat's Paw, and Wolf in the Fold. So let's talk about those for a little bit. Uh, well, I mean, first off, I don't know. Have you guys seen or, or read any of his uh, other stuff, his non-Trek stuff, aside from only, Psycho? No, only Psycho. What about you, Grace? Have you read or seen anything that he's done? I actually read Laurie last summer, which is one of his later novels, and it's not the greatest novel as far as horror stories go, but he really does have a great eye for building atmosphere, and he really is just a master hand at slow tension, which is really funny to see in contrast with his work on Star Trek when it's all very much about the action of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, because primetime TV, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really curious uh, because according to Memory Alpha, each of these episodes was based on on short stories that that he uh, had written himself. Uh, for what our little girls made of, it was based on Queen of the Metal Men, and then for Ooh. for Cat's Paw, uh, Broomstick Ride, and for Wolf in the Fold, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, which I guess he also adapted prior to this in an episode of a show called Thriller. Yeah, Robert Block definitely had a love of the Jack the Ripper mythos and the story behind it. It's something that you see pop up a lot in his work, apparently. Well, he yeah. he, li- he lived only like twenty miles from Ed Gain, and I know well, that, I know that he yeah. said that you know that didn't really affect his work in Psycho, but like I it, like that type of thing just seeps into your atmosphere. I imagine just even being tangentially aware of that sort of I don't know. Well, that, that sort of that sort of, of atmosphere affects. Yeah, you. it's kind of a postmodern kind of equivalent of the Jack the Ripper killings, or I think as close as close to it as Block would have probably been able to get. And the dude really did love learning about murders. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, we, we talked to a guy, we, we did a couple of episodes for this show with a guy who runs a, a history and mystery bookstore in town. And uh, he was talking about how, you know, Robert Block is really known as being sort of, uh, they call them Ripperologists, you know. And uh, and he he's he's done a lot of writing on the subject, which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It is kind of like I mean, Psycho in a lot of ways is kind of uh, an extension of of that sort of thing too. It's 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 interesting. But let's let's go back to the beginning of his Trek career and and talk yeah. about uh, what are little girls made of. Now, this was oh. only the eighth episode of the show, and um, it's. The one with the robots, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's a really great episode they, they, for them they, to have had early nurse on. Nurse Chapel's uh, fiance is presumed dead, and they go to a planet to look for him. And it turns out that he's alive. And then it turns out that he's a robot. Spoilers, and there's a, a bunch of other robots on the planet, and uh, all androids, and uh, you know, hijinks ensue. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you, also, Lurch you, is there. Yeah, you, you can't write off Lurch. <laughs> yeah. This is true. This is true. So so what did you guys think about What Are Girls like, Made Of? Grace? Well, I think this is a totally fun episode, and I think it's a really great episode that they had early on in the series as kind of an establishment of what Star Trek was going to look like and the level of hijinkery that we would see and the level of sci-fi and just... The level of anything can happen here. This is Star Trek. We are kind of making our own rules about what you can see on a week-to-week basis. And that makes it really fun, the fact that you don't know what's going to happen. And that kind of does make the twist at the end come out of nowhere. It's all very 
uh, what am I trying to say? It's all very high concept and very shiny and bright and very theatrical. And it is very much a piece of establishing what Star Trek is all about right off the bat. Plus, we get some of those great kitschy outfits from the robot girls. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, 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 uh, the costume design in general, like they had that it looks weird... looks like she's wearing a handkerchief. <laughs> But also like the weird crisscross thing, like like the guy yeah. the guy has it it's too. It's like a weird Frankenstein halter top, and I think it's hilarious. So he's not only building little girls, also their little little wardrobes. So so what did you think about the episode, John? No, I, I, Grace, I think you're right. It, it, it's a fun episode. I don't think that this. Um... Uh, you know, I, I think that it's, it is dated a lot in, in terms of, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it, it's like going back and reading an old Lee Brackett uh, sci-fi book. It's like, oh, I understand what you were going for, but, you know, it, it's limitations of the time. But it's a fun episode. I, I wouldn't rank it. It's very middle of the pack. It's not, it's not one of the lesser episodes. It's not one of the greatest episodes, but it's a watchable episode. It's not something that I would skip. Yeah, it's not it's not offensively terrible or anything like that. It's one, it, it, but it's also not a standout. You know, I mean, there, there's the the original series plays to me a lot like an anthology series in that there's some episodes which are absolutely the best television you're ever going to see, and there's other episodes which are absolute crap, and then there's the ones where you just kind of forget about them. And like every time I hear the title, "What Are Little Girls Made Of?" I'm like. That's one of those ones with like a bunch of kids, right? And then I start watching it. And I'm like, oh no, because the the what? Because he's making. I I get. I got you. I got you now. Yeah, it's a play on words. Yeah. Well, I always like to think of it as kind of one of the few Nurse Chapel centric episodes we get, which is nice to see the character kind of get her due. But in the course of the series, we don't really get to see that lived up to. But it's still nice to know she's got at least this episode. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I mean, I would say this is probably the most nurse channel nurse chapel centric episode right i mean yeah and and it originally wasn't Absolutely. supposed to be you know i mean I, I guess part of the thing is what this is only episode eight of the show so who knows how much block even had to to work with when he was writing it but it was originally designed to be like a a, a woman who hires the enterprise to go look for her husband it was roddenberry who had the idea of of rewriting it to make it chapel, you know, and uh, they, they had introduced her in an earlier episode, but then, you know, this is the first time where she really got to do something substantial and maybe the only time that she really got to do something substantial. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but it is kind of cool to see her character, you know, get to do something. Um, I, I wonder why they didn't uh, use her like this more often in the show. You know, why they didn't make her one of the... It's something you've got to wonder. You really do. A recurring thing we have in a lot of Star Trek is there being the potential for them to have women characters do more and it just kind of not happening or coming together. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's weird because it, it seems like Roddenberry definitely pushed for that early on. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if there was some sort of studio interference or something like that. But there's also like a weird thing that that happens where you do see a lot of female characters in the original series who are very similar to each other. But you only really see them. They don't actually seem to do much aside from act as set dressing a lot of the time on the bridge or just in general. That's true. But, But also like characters where they'll show up for one episode and do something and then they'll they'll go away and you'll never see them again. Whereas mm-hmm. it's like, well, why don't you have, you know, someone like Chapel uh, play that role in that episode? I guess they felt like they'd filled their um, active woman quota with just having one per episode around. Well, I, I, I think, I though, that th- there's also a function uh, of, you know, to, to go back to what you said about the anthology series aspect of it, like if you have writers coming in and, and pitching spec scripts or, you know, working off of something, mm-hmm. you know, like they're, they're given, you know, especially this early in the series, it's like, okay, you have uh, this, you know, these are the three big guys and write a script. Like, you know, was it, was it a function of the time? Yeah. But I mean, weren't there also rumors that like, uh, you know, I, I think the studio notes speak to it because, 
Roddenberry said he sold this as like wagon train to the stars. So I think that you see yeah, that's uh, kind as, of the apocrypha of what this show was pitched as. Yeah. And, and so it's like, you know, this, the studio I'm sure was looking for, okay, when are you going to get the lead guy to go and be more, you know, more of a leading heroic more guy. Of a space cowboy. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, which is what Kirk eventually evolved into. Absolutely. Yeah. I, on the whole with this episode, I guess I, I, I think it's fine. Um, you know, I, I don't know, looking at it sort of in the context of the overall series, it is, you know, crazy to think that like, well, this is the, you know, they, they really play up the mystery of like, these are robots and they look like humans. And, you know, I mean, I guess looking at it, you know, as someone who watched a lot of these things out of order, I'm like, yeah, well, so what? They do that like a million times throughout the series. But this really was like the first time that that happened. And I guess that that is kind of a big deal, you know. And and it works. It works for the most part, you know. It's one of those episodes that I would have really loved to have gotten to watch back in the 60s when it was new without any of the full context of the entirety of Star Trek and just been like, what is this? Yeah. That would have been really fun to just kind of see out in the blue. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, let's move on to uh, the second episode that Block wrote, which came in season two. It was actually the first episode that they made in season two, although it didn't air until like episode eight or something. And that was Cat's Paw, the Halloween episode where they go to the planet (laughs) with the witches and stuff, I guess. And a a spooky skeleton. Yeah, and it's all scary and Halloween back when... This is your after-school Halloween special, kids, in space. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, on Friday nights, it's something that the kids could watch at their Halloween parties, you know, and on the weekends or whatever. So what did you guys think of Cat's Paw? Great. Uh, Speaking of things that aged kind of funkily. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it is fun if you're a connoisseur of kitsch, kind of like I am, and just like to be like oh wow this is very silly yeah i i i agree that it is silly um if if i were to be bold enough to put this in the middle of the pack it would be at the tail end right at that line of of wouldn't recommend like this is this is hardcore trek fan territory at this point (laughs) to to sort of make it through this one i think I, you know, if I were, if I were sitting down and introducing somebody to the series now, this wouldn't make the first several cuts of episodes that I would show them. (laughs) It's definitely an episode that stands out, (laughs) but maybe (laughs) maybe, for good or for bad. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, I ultimately think that this episode's ridiculous, uh, but, um, and, and ultimately kind of unwatchable, you know, I don't know. I, there's, I mean, I think you guys, as far as Trek fans are concerned, are being very generous in, in, in your praise for it. I mean, I know that, uh, Char and Matt Hansen came on to my other show and used this episode for one of their their drinking games because <laughs> the only way that they could deal well, with it's watching good to know it. that that goodness came out of it. Yes, yes. So at least that's something. However, it's good to know that in the grand scheme of things, it serves a purpose to the Star Trek fandom. Yeah, you know, it yeah. took forty eight years or something like that, but you know, it eventually uh, served its purpose. <laughs> to get two people drunk. <laughs> Every episode exists for some purpose, and that's what this one is here for. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 Grace, I think you're I, I think you hit on something where it's like it's the little kids episode. You know, like this is this would be accessible, you know, they're still trying to find their audience arguing yeah. by this point. So it's like, "Oh, look, we have a we have a kid-friendly episode that you you like the monkeys and Scooby Doo. Right. Wouldn't you like to watch this?" <laughs> well, doing uh doing kid-friendly and doing seasonal like holiday stuff. Those are two yeah. ways to try and make your show more accessible. Exactly. And they didn't exactly hit the mark on either of those, but yeah. bless them for trying. It It is really interesting. Like, whenever I watch this episode, I can kind of, like, feel the hand of the of the studio at play. And it really does feel like, 
you know, one of those episodes of a television show where it's like, this is airing at Halloween, so we're doing a Halloween episode, or yeah. you know, this is our Christmas episode for the year, or whatever, and it's the only episode of Star Trek. It's one of those things where you watch it, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is a Halloween episode. Exactly, exactly, and it's the only episode of Star Trek which is like that, and I kind of yeah, love... Yeah, um... Seasonal events don't really work the same in space, do they? <laughs> no, and, but I, I love the fact that they tried, you know? I mean, like, they if, really I, did. if I were doing a Star Trek show, I would totally have a Christmas episode because why not, you know? Well, I mean, thinking like that is what gets us into the Star Wars holiday special territory, so it's a I great know. path. To <laughs> you know, there's no need to take a pot shot here. Come on. It, well, you know, I mean, is there anything wrong with the, the Star Wars Holiday Special? Yeah, there's a lot oh, wrong again. with the Star Wars Holiday Special. We'll save there that for another a conversation. Lot. There's a reason why there's been an, <laughs> an unholy quest for decades to try to kill the thing, but uh, it it just also, won't die. Also, speaking of things that are really fun to base drinking games around. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, hey, maybe you could say that the Star Wars Holiday Special is uh, Halloween special like Cat's Paw because it truly is horrifying. Ooh, so there yeah. you go. Yeah. It got the terror that they were going for in this episode of Star Trek. <laughs> but that that uh, that cartoon in the middle of it, though, is great, you know? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. No, it's not. It's terrible, too. All I, of it's terrible. I, I love that that's... Either way, you get something that's just uncomfortable to watch. I think we should have a special early Star Trek rating system that goes beyond good and bad and enters the realm of, I'm just uncomfortable watching this. <laughs> Yeah, that needs to have its own sort of special level of management for a lot of the original series. Just this episode, drag <laughs> factor, if you will. I, yeah, like I give this episode four cats paws. You know, out, out of four, <laughs> can't be five because there's only four, right? Anyway, okay. yeah. So, um, yeah. Maybe if you engineered a cat. <laughs> yeah, why couldn't it be a space so cat? Give extra thumbs down. <laughs> you know, on, on the whole, I think this episode is is horrendously bad uh but i do i do find it interesting just uh, its existence is is something that i find interesting and i find it interesting (laughs) that they got robert block to to write it because it's like oh yeah you do because you wrote psycho so you know what's scary all right write us something scary it's another kind of funny juxtaposition between oh he wrote this great story of suspense and thrills and shocking twist ending and this Mm -hmm. it just those two works alone give you an interesting interesting spectrum of his work to look at. Yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. And, and another uh, sort of interesting piece of his, his uh, I, I guess, overall work, which you see in both this and What Are Little Girls Made Of, are references to the old ones. Yeah, which, he does definitely have some Lovecraft shout-outs in there. Yeah. So, of course, the, uh, the, the continuity nerd in me... <laughs> needs to to tr- sort of uh, parse this information to, and 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 figure out whether or not this means that like Cthulhu exists in the Star Trek universe. Well, Cthulhu exists. So when do we get that cross? Cthulhu exists outside time and space, so he exists in every continuity, arguably. Do you think that maybe Idris Elba is playing Cthulhu in Star Trek Beyond? Ooh, I. You know what? Let's start that rumor. I'm down with that. All right, all right. I like it. I like it. Maybe Galaxy's Child was one of the Elder Gods all along. Mm, there yeah. you go. There you go. See? But yeah, honestly, I think if you're a writer like Robert Block and you are able to say that you had teachings from someone like Lovecraft, you have got to pay credit to that. And honestly, if I was in that position, I would just be dropping references that to that all over. <laughs> I would not be able to stop name dropping H.P. Lovecraft if I had the chance. <laughs> I wonder how much of it is a uh, a holdover from the short stories that these are based on, you know? If he if he had done a lot of Lovecraftian, yeah, you know, stuff, which apparently he you did. Do seriously wonder maybe though. these were just two of those stories, you know? I don't know. It's interesting. It makes you wonder if those came into the story organically or if he felt like he needed to shoehorn them in just so that he could say he could. Yeah. Yeah. It's curious. Mhm. All right, so he did one more episode of the original series, and that was later on in season two, and that was Wolf in the Fold. Now, uh, uh, this yes. is an episode which uh, <laughs> is, is rather controversial, and uh, but at the same time, I think really interesting. Um, so what do you guys think of Wolf in the Fold? Grace? Um, 
Well, as a female critic, I feel like I have to be special levels of critical about it because <laughs> this episode is not great to its female characters on so many levels. We have, like, our opening scene is a woman being exotified and then being murdered. And we have a lot of women having bad things happen to them so that the guys have something to do on screen. And also we get that beautiful line of from Spock, of all people, that women are just easier and more intensely scared. Yeah. So it, this is one of those ones that I really kind of have to bite my tongue about usually when I'm talking about it. Yeah. Ugh, there's a lot to eye roll at. But yeah. it is interesting yeah, to I... get to see another look at Block's obsession with Jack the Ripper. And also the usage of actor, actors in this is interesting and has led to this episode being repeatedly referred to as Piglet the Ripper. <laughs> Which I love, you know? <laughs> if the name works, stick yeah. with it. That, that guy's such a good actor, though. He, he's in an Irvin Kirshner movie called uh, A Fine Madness with Sean Connery, and he's awesome in yeah. that, too. He really is a great actor, and it is one of those things where you watch it and you're like, oh, wow, this guy's a very good actor. Too bad I can only ever hear him as that one character when he talks. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, what, what, what do you think about this episode, John? I you know I I just think that it's obvious that nobody was minding the store when it came together. <laughs> I, I really I mean th- this is this is in the very rear of of the episodes. Basically every production every type of production problem you want to you you want to illustrate that the original series had I think comes forth in this. So this and episode the, really is a teaching tool then. Yeah, basically. Uh, but I but I think I think what's frustrating about it for me is that I remember watching it as when I was much younger, the, the baseline concept of Jack the Ripper as this spirit that could jump from person to person, like overshadowed everything else about it when I was very young, because that's just, that was such an awesome concept to me. And then the way they got rid of him at the end, where it's like on wide dispersal beam and everything, I was like, well, all right, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, you go back and you watch it as an adult and you're like, wow, that's, this is a mess. This is terrible. What what on earth happened here? And yeah, it's that it's could just be the tagline awful. for the episode right there. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I'm. Uh, I, I I mean, I I I I kind of have the the same opinion as you, John. In that you know, well, well I mean, I I did first see it when I was a kid, and it was kind of a standout for me um, because of the Jack the Ripper element, you know. I mean, if if we want to do like a a line item veto of this episode, I think you could come up with some stuff which is pretty awesome. And you know, I mean, all of the stuff that you're talking about, Grace, is is definitely there. And I mean, this is the episode that that I was using in my argument with John Tenuto about you know whether or not uh, you know Kirk was acting out of character um, in in Into Darkness, you know, and. Th- it's he's like you know kirk was never like that he never you know did that he he was a big fan of women but he never like objectified them and i was like this episode starts with him saying like hey hey scotty you want you want one of those women over there cuz i can like totally get that for you you know and it's like he totally did that here but i mean i guess it is an outlier in in that sense and it's like that stuff is like ah uh, yeah this is this episode is kind of um kind of kind of messed up right but then you've got the Jack the Most Ripper, <laughs> but then you've got the Jack the Ripper stuff, which is like you're saying, John, really awesome. And it's one of those episodes where when I watch it, I'm like, man, I really wish it didn't have all of the crap in it, because if you were to take out the crap, you'd actually have a, crap a really is a good... nice way of putting it. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's a PG thirteen podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so you know, we'll let I the mean... listeners fill in their word of choice. Sure, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so, but if you were to get rid of all that stuff, then I think what you'd be left with is is something which is pretty pretty solid. You know, it's, yeah. It's... So if you strip out everything except about. 10 minutes of screen time. It's an <laughs> awesome show. Yeah, it's you've fantastic. got great 10 minutes there, and then there's the rest of the episode. Yeah. It's kind of there. So I, Yeah, so I guess that's my feeling on, on Wolf in the Fold. I see it as like this, this bad episode which has the kernel of a good episode inside of it, you know. 
I don't know. Anyway, okay, so that's Robert Block. Let's move on to Joseph Stefano and uh, and and talk about his work. Okay, now he is primarily a screenwriter. Uh, he wrote a movie called The Black Orchid, which I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen, but apparently is pretty good. And it caught the attention of Alfred Hitchcock, and he hired him to write Psycho. Uh, just a year after the book had been written, uh, he, he was hired to write the screenplay for the movie. From there, obviously, Psycho became what it is, and he became a a pretty hot commodity, I guess, in Hollywood. And uh, Hitchcock in particular, who, you know, once he found someone who he liked, he he liked to to use them again and again and again, asked him to write a couple of uh, post-Psycho movies for him uh, almost immediately. But Stefano had already committed to a show that his friend uh, Leslie Stevens was uh, working on uh, or developing at the time called The Outer Limits. And yeah. uh, Stefano had committed to basically being the, I don't know if, if, if he was necessarily the head writer, but certainly, you know, one of the the, the head writers. It was really Stefano and, and Stevens who put that show together. And he was heavily involved with... Uh, the creation of that show and the entire uh, first season. And because of that, he didn't write any more movies for um, uh, Hitchcock. And you got to appara- wonder what we could have had if he'd uh, gone the different direction. Yeah, for sure. And um, Hitchcock apparently, you know, being Hitchcock was uh, not, not too happy with Stefano's decision to snub him in favor of this, you know, science fiction television anthology and, uh, yeah, the two of them never worked together again. Yeah, Hitchcock yeah. was known to hold a grudge. <laughs> just a little <laughs> That's bit. That's putting just, it lightly, Just yeah. a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, the Outer Limits thing is interesting because <laughs> there is this weird um, division in, in the Outer Limits uh, fan and professional community between seasons one and two. Seasons one and two are, are vastly different from each other. And there are people who think that season one is the best thing ever and season two is a pile of crap. And there are people who think that season one is extremely boring and season two is where it becomes next level television. And Harlan Ellison, you know, he wrote for season two, I believe, and he's a really big fan of that. He thinks that the first season is is kind of middle of the road. Wait, wait, wait. Harlan Ellison has an inflated opinion of something he worked on? I know it's strange, right? Interesting. Mm, I I, yeah. I got to take a minute here. I got to sit down, <laughs> and I got to take a deep breath. I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah. that's not what I would have expected at all. <laughs> and Joseph Stefano, on the other hand, you know, worked really hard on season one. And when the studio came in and said, "Hey, guys, change this," Stefano was like, "All right, I'm out of here." You know. So it's yeah. kind of interesting, the tale of two Star Trek writers. And, and if you go back to like 100 episodes ago, we did uh, a whole series on um, Harlan Ellison's work on The Outer Limits. So check those out for sure. Um, but yeah, anyway. So he did that. And then he was a writer on the Swamp Thing television show. And he also returned to the Psycho franchise to do Psycho for the beginning, which... I don't know. Have you guys seen that? No. Okay. I I haven't seen Can't it say either. I, have. I, no, I haven't no, seen it either. No. But that was the the television movie that I, I believe Anthony Perkins himself directed, and um, my my friend whose opinion I trust as much as I I can anyone's opinion I guess um, mm-hmm. said that it's actually good. He's like, you know, Psycho 2 and 3 are crap, but Psycho 4, they do some crazy stuff. And it, what it is is it's basically, from what I understand, um, Norman Bates on a talk show describing <laughs> his early his early childhood, you know, kind of like explaining how he became who he was. So I don't know. I don't know if it's good or not, but apparently it's something worth checking out at least. And then, and then he one of his last credits is uh, for the Psycho remake that Gus Van Sant made because they used the same exact script that uh, they used for Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. But in addition to all that, he also wrote an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation from season one, and that episode is Skin of Evil. 
which is the episode where Tasha Yar dies. So what So what did you guys think of Skin of Evil? It's one of those funny episodes where I don't think anyone has a middle-of-the-road opinion about it. People either think this episode was totally important or absolutely loathe it. I've never met anyone who's on an in-between level. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's fair. I, uh, I remember watching this when it first aired and um, not liking it then. And uh, I don't like it now either. <laughs> yeah, all. I have to say I am the same way. I watched it. They killed off an important character early on. And then I just sat through the rest of the episode going, what is this? Yeah, it's it's the opposite of Wolf in the Fold, where as a kid, I was like, oh, this is so, this is a neat concept. And I went back as an adult, I'm like, ugh, this is a mess. I thought it was a mess <laughs> through my whole life. Some things remain the same. Yeah, you know, it's really weird. I mean, like, structurally and everything, it's a very bizarre episode. Like, I wonder whether or not it was... Again, this is another case where you look at this episode versus the script to Psycho, and you say, really, that was the same guy? It's just such a yeah. stretch. But and at the same, but at the same time, like I see like the seeds of Psycho in here. I mean, maybe not the seeds of Psycho, but the you know glimpses of Psycho in in this mm-hmm. thing. You know, like I I, oh. I I wonder, I wonder what it was like on paper. You know, I mean, for like a lot of these, you know. Episodes and stuff, and like reading some of these behind the scenes books, and you hear about how shows were altered for whatever reason, you know, lots of times because of budget and stuff. Like, yeah, cons- you've really got to wonder what a first draft of this would have looked like. Yeah, especially since it was, uh, I, there's two writers credited on this episode. Stefano, um, wrote the story and he's co-credited as writing the, the screenplay with, uh, I think it's Hannah Louise Shearer, if I'm not mistaken. And so I, I wonder. I wonder what was changed. I wonder if this episode existed before Tasha was leaving the show, you know? But as it stands, it's weird in terms of its pacing and everything. Like, you would think, like, killing off a main character would be a big deal, right? And that would have, like, a moment. Like, that would be a big death. And really, you it's... Think, yeah. It's really underplayed, isn't it? Um it's, Again, compare that to Psycho, where the death of a main character early on is this huge, shocking thing that comes out of nowhere. With this, it's just kind of like, oh, she did. Bye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And then they bring it up again at the end, and that's it. It's just such an underwhelming death that it's kind of shocking. Yeah, you know, it's it's strange. It's almost treated like the way that they treat your average red shirt death. You know, it's similar to to the deaths of those two dudes at the beginning of What Are Little Girls Made Of, where it's like, oh man, a guy died. What was his name? I forget. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then it's not until the end where, you know, they have the little eulogy thing, which which feels really tacked on, you know, to the episode. Uh, Oh, Absolutely. It, if you watch the rest of the episode, you can just kind of cut that scene out and have it be completely separate, and it would probably make about as much sense. Yeah, and and that, that the eulogy itself is like, I mean, she makes it sound like these were the most important people in her life, you know, for, for years and years and years, when in reality she, what, knew them for like four months or something, you know, mm-hmm. for the most part. But I mean, it was a very, a very impactful. These months. were the most important people in her life. I mean, it's it's that it's, and the fact that she had to give her own eulogy in front of a Windows ninety eight screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what can you do? You know, twenty fourth century technology wasn't the best. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a strange episode. But that being said, it's very like tonally, like the stuff on the planet. I think is really crazy. Like. The music and everything, it has this very sort of like intense, creepy vibe to it, which which I think works really well. And conceptually, you know, even though you have this, this, you know, tar monster thing, which looks absolutely ridiculous, right? <laughs> like conceptually... It looks I, like something you'd see out of a Goosebumps episode. Exactly, exactly. But... Conceptually, I think it, it's it's kind of this really interesting concept of it's of like you know this is a thing that was, you know, pure evil and wh- whoever it was you know wanted to shed itself of this evil and they left it stranded on this planet and even though it's pure evil 
like I can't help but feel bad for the thing, you know? It's kind of yeah. sad. He just wants to be loved, just like everyone else, right? Yeah. He can't help it if he's pure evil. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he is well, what he is, well man. you know what? You got Roddenberry's point then, because uh, I think that like he for like they they wasn't there some draft where they like they were going to actually. I, I don't know, but like I remember reading somewhere that like Roddenberry stepped in and uh, made it apparent that they couldn't like judge the creature or something like that. He's like, well, I mean, basically what you said, Mike, where it's like, well, sure, it's evil, but you know, hey, and it, like that was, I think that was part of Roddenberry's desire with the episode. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where I read that, but um, I I'm convinced that if they had made this just a few years later this creature would have been cg yeah, yeah probably even with limited cg back then i mean th this is definitely something where you can see where they would approach it you like you see the limitations of the tech what they were trying to achieve on screen would the creature have been more successful if it had been cg probably not because back then that was still limited in and of itself yeah but the concept of the creature is neat yeah, I, I and guess, I think you know. that's where a lot of people kind of get this derisiveness for the episode and the fact that there's a lot of neat things happening. We've got a neat concept for a villain. We've got this interesting atmospheric stuff going on down on the planet. It has potential, but it just hits left of the mark, and that makes it even more annoying than if it had just been straight-up terrible all around. Yeah, on the whole, it's it's a pretty crappy episode. But I mean, as far as season one next gen goes, you know, it's it's definitely not the worst. You know, at least there's some interesting ideas in there. You know, yeah. it's one of those things where mm. having watched through the first season of TNG up until that point, it's just kind of like, what? What did I expect? <laughs> yep, par for the course. Hey, let yeah, me, par let for the crappy course. <laughs> Well, let me let me ask you guys this question. I don't know. Have you heard Jonathan Frakes tell his story about the making of this episode? I, I have not. I'd love to hear it. It's it's. I've heard him tell it a million times at conventions, on DVDs, and everything. And he talks about how like he had to go into the tar pit, right? And then like the yeah. elevator raises him out of the tar pit. And oh he, wow! And he he falls out onto the onto the you know surface or whatever and he's covered in this black you know oil stuff and you know the director yells cut or something like that and then uh lavar burton like leans over him and he's like i would have never done that or something along those lines and, and every time he tells the story he laughs hysterically <laughs> and the audience laughs hysterically and every time i hear the story i'm like i don't get it wait what where's the joke I don't understand what's going on. And I just want someone to be able to explain <laughs> why this story is so hilarious that he's been telling it for the past, you know, 20 years. I don't know. Anyway, never mind. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> well, uh, we'll give a, a homework assignment to the class. Go and watch it online and uh, reach out to Mike directly and let him know if you figure out why this is so funny. Yeah, email us at comtrackstars. Explain the at comedy. It'll be great. Yeah. Explain the joke to us, and we will uh, we will read your your explanation on the air next week. So. Yes. Okay. All right. So that's it for Block and Stefano. That was the only thing that Stefano had done on Star Trek. Um, and any any final thoughts on on either one or or both or or what you you think this signals in terms of their work, which they had done before this, I guess. Again, I don't think either of them are actually on par with either of their involvement with Psycho, but it is true that there's kind of a vein of psychoness in it that it's interesting to see kind of carry over. Other than that, I think I'd need a much bigger look at both of them's uh, frame of work to get a better idea of that. But yeah. it's just another thing that you get when you're starting to look into writers who worked on Star Trek. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a commonality. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What about you, John? Psycho is a fantastic book, mm -hmm. and it's one of my favorite films of all time. Will always be. Absolutely love everything about the book and the movie. And overall, you know, uh, if you're going to look, if, if you if these Star Trek episodes had been the only thing they had done besides Psycho, 
it's not a good indicator. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at these things and be like, <laughs> no. well, obviously they're good all around. No, Psycho seems like a flash in the pan. So honestly, I'm motivated to go and read more of their other work or watch more of their other work because there is no way these two gents, you know, basically combine forces to help produce the, you know, one of the seminal horror works of all time. Uh, like the, the, these are not indicative of their overall talent level. I, I refuse to believe that. <laughs> yeah. I'm you pre- want to know where the real change occurred. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much in, in agreement uh, with, with both of you. It's, it's weird. It, it's one of those cases, you know, <laughs> there seems to be a thing which, which we discover on this show, you know, where lots of times it's like, this person wrote this episode of Star Trek. It's one of the best hours in, in television history. And uh, so let's take a look at everything else that they did. And everything else is like, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's that's okay, you know, whatever. Here, it's the exact opposite where, yeah. you know, you look at their Star Trek stuff and you're like, well, why would I be talking about this person? And yeah. the reason is because the stuff that they did outside of Star Trek is some of the best stuff ever, Right. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to revisiting uh, both the book and the movie, and also uh, sort of you know comparing and contrasting them and seeing uh, if we can kind of figure out what is unique that that each of them you know sort of brought to to the that mythology, which which I think is a really interesting mythology. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. It's going to be exciting. Well, Grace, thank thank you very much for for joining us today. Uh, wh- where can people find you on the network and on the internet and whatnot? Well, um, if they're listening to Trek FM, they can hear me on Women at Warp. They can find us on the Women at Warp website and on Twitter at Women at Warp. You can find me on Twitter at Bonecrusher Jenk, and I hope to see more people looking into it. And I can't wait to discuss Psycho with you guys some more. Yeah, yeah, we're really looking forward yeah. to it too. You know, th- thank you very much for because we all needed to bring some more murder into our lives. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we all go a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, thanks again for having me. All thank right, you. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. All right, well, that was a good start to this new series. You know, I'm 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 excited about this series, right? I mean, it's it's something. It's one of those high concept things which I've had since since we started this show, and I'm I'm glad that we were able to to actually do it you know i i I think that the high concept things are are your trademark on this show and i'm actually i yeah i agree with you though this is this is a fun one this is a fun little rabbit hole to go down and uh you know i hope that everybody else is is going to enjoy it as much as we are so far yeah yeah it's just just to 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 pull back the curtain for a second a couple of the high concept things which we're not going to get to do which i uh, i i will always regret (laughs) but we'll do them in some form or another somewhere down the road uh one was uh um stuart baird and looking at the movies which he re-edited to get the job on nemesis Mm. that would have been super cool that would have been super cool We'll, we'll deal with it somehow in the future somehow whatever we'll work it in and uh, and then the other one would be um, looking at all of the movies that Kurtzman and Orsi wrote as sort of a, a mirror to their personal relationship and their career. That's actually something which it was an article that this guy Matt Singer, who's a film critic, wrote. And, you know, I, I thought that that was really kind of a, a very interesting idea and, and it's something worth further exploration exploration but uh it also would take like three months to do so we're not doing that either yeah that's a little (laughs) long but but we did get to the block stefano thing so yeah Yeah. at least that's something and for halloween shocktober yeah sorry i can't help myself that's okay and and it really does kind of work out perfectly for me personally because um i'm good I'm, i'm in the middle of the book right now i'm gonna finish it up and then we're going to record the thing about the book next Monday. And then the day after, I'm going to get to see it again on the big screen. So jealous that you're going to get to see it on the big screen. I've never seen Psycho on the big screen, and I so desperately want to see it on the big screen. Really? Because they show Cause, it yeah. like every day. Actually, if you have a Cinemark near you, I'm pretty sure they're showing it on wednesday cinemark does not exist in this territory my friend we're 
We're Regal Cinema's town over here. Check, check, because it's like part of like a Fathom thing. There's a lot of theaters that are doing it. Like, oh. type it, go to IMDb and click on like Showtimes locally. I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually playing at a theater near you on Wednesday. All dependent on other things that are happening in my life. What else is going on in your life which is more important than seeing Psycho on the big screen? I mean, come on. We need to have priorities here, right? (laughs) That's true. I don't know. I've lost my way. I've lost my way. Oh, well. Oh, well. I'm sure you'll have time to watch it next month on the big screen if it comes out then, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Because there won't be anything going on at that point. Not at all. (laughs) So anyway, uh, yes, this is going to be a good series, and and thanks to Grace for for stepping in and and uh, joining us for this uh, because it, it'll be it'll be fun it'll be fun and yeah. cool. Uh, but yeah, it's been fun talking about uh, Block and Stefano today. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. You did good, Captain Kirk. Is he in that last shot or not? He is. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. Oh, wait a minute. So, So okay, wait. Did they pull a weekend at Bernie's or something? Like, they just pulled him up there, you know? He's okay. It's cool. Earl Grey. Daddy, do pets have a Nexus 2? <laughs> the Pexus. Kirk had a, a dog in the Nexus 2, didn't he? Oh, uh, Butler. Butler. Butler is now <laughs> Shadow. So we have the adventures homeward bound of Butler, Porthos, and Spot. Will they make it back to their owners in Montana? The Orb. Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently... The Navark reports directly to the prophets. Which is awkward because they don't always show up for meetings, so... Right. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be, right? That is true. It could have been yesterday, and you might have missed it. The Ready Room. Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra mussels? <laughs> <laughs> to the journey! It's, it's so average American. It's like Joe Smith. And no offense to Joe Smith, it's just, I could have tried a little harder. I mean, come on. You might as well call her Jane Doe. So far, not off to a good start. So far, I'm judging you, Shark. Give me a moment. Give me a moment. Commentary, Trek stars. And I remember like being like in midair, having this conversation <laughs> with his brother and saying, this could be the best Star Trek ever, and then just like landing on the ground. Is it a metaphor for how you feel about Voyager as a series? No comment. (laughs) The 602 Club. The young adult novels have their own um, framing devices that tie in to The Force Awakens. And I think that if they had uh, put those front and center, maybe even expanded one of them uh, or what have you, I think that would have served the strategy better. I definitely do. Literary treks. Well, that really is the bottom line, you know. And, And I think it's particularly... Uh, difficult with this group of characters because in some ways you're looking at folks who literally are the brightest and the best, right? So in some ways we need them not to have feet of clay. We need them to be so much better and stronger than we are so that we have something to shoot for. Women at Warp. There's always a touchstone and this was as close to a touchstone as they ever got with Pulaski. Plushy bang Dreyker's dad. Oh, Andy. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just think it's so funny. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our show on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, 
producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Hey, do us a solid and leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah, a five-star review on iTunes. Or three and a half, whatever. No, we're five-star podcast. Come on. (laughs) All right, fair enough. Um, But yeah, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, Tell us what you think. That'll help us out. That'll help other people find the show when they search iTunes and everything like that. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll read your review on the air, unless you don't want us to, in which case we won't. But uh, yeah, yeah, help us out. We'll read it in a foreign language. If you don't want us to read it, like if you write it in English, we'll read it in some foreign language that somebody would have to translate. That sounds that? like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do we'll, that. We'll work for it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, there's other ways that you can contact us, too. You can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. Uh, we'll play that on the air. Um, you can find the network on Twitter at Trek FM. You can find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. Uh, you can also find the Babel conference on Facebook where we discuss, uh, all sorts of, um, fun topics in regards to Star Trek and other things, but mainly Star Trek. Just type the Babel conference into the search field on Facebook. That's B-A-B-E-L. Or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click on the discussion tab on the menu bar, and that'll take you there, too. John, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, uh, you can find me crawling around on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. Uh, and you can uh, find me uh, on a show called Words with Nerds that airs every Thursday uh, on iTunes and Stitcher and all of that, uh, where my buddy Craig and I go a little crazy in the uh, nerd universe, as it were. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit uh, with with Drew. We've got our big 100th episode coming up on Monday, so be sure to check that out. It's going to be off-the-hook crazy insane. I mean, you guys heard the Earl Grey episode 100, right? Where, like, everyone from the network was on there doing voices, and there was, like, a massive role-playing game or whatever. Like, imagine that times, like, a thousand. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what we we did on Standard Orbit number 100. Yeah. And by that, I mean, basically, we just did a normal episode of the show, but, you know, with an interesting hook. So, check it out. The hook brings you back, or so I've been told. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yes, but yeah, no. T- check it out for sure. Uh, there is there it, it is there is some surprising stuff in episode one hundred. It's an episode you're not going to want to miss. There is some there is a cycle like gear shift twist in the middle of episode one hundred, and uh, you will definitely <laughs> want to check it out. And I'm not lying about that. Okay, there is, there is, there is. Yes. Anyway. Is very cycle like, like even to the point of like points of view changing midway through. It just messes with your head. Yeah, it takes and you I'm, completely by surprise. But then when you go back and you re-listen, you 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 marvel at how could you possibly have missed it. This is actually like everything that that we're saying right now is not an inaccurate description <laughs> of episode one hundred of Standard Orbit. Anyway. You just have to tune in and find out. Uh, it's crazy. There's even, like, secret guest stars on it. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, just just check it out. Just check it out. That's all I'm saying. But you can find me there. You can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, uh, where I do Commentary Trackstar Babies. Uh, we do have a commentary for Cat's Paw, which I'm not on. So if you're sick and tired of hearing us, you can hear Char and Matt Hansen. Uh, get drunk while watching Cat's Paw. So there's that. 
Um, you can also uh, find on there a commentary which uh, my friend Josh, the, the, the guy who we were talking about who says that Psycho 4, the beginning, is good. We did a commentary mm-hmm. for uh, the original Alfred Hitchcock Psycho on there, so you can you can check that out over there too, if you want. It's it's uh, one of our one of our better episodes, if I do say so myself. And cool. uh, yeah, so and 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 also, I'm not 100 percent positive, but I'm gonna try to do a, a commentary for maybe one of the the Robert Block episodes, like maybe Wolf in the Fold or something like that, with Tisto. Um, on on commentary track star babies for an upcoming episode, so maybe we can get a little more sort of like uh, yeah sidebar. Take stuff it easy. Going take on it there. easy on yourself and go for what are little girls made of. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think uh, Wolf in the Fold. There's more to talk about there. I don't know. Okay, that's a fair comment. I mean, with what are little girls made of? I think I'd be like, I don't know what to say here. Oh, there's two Shatners on screen. All right. Wow, they hacked <laughs> more that Shatner's early. more fun. Yeah, you know. But aside from that, it's like, uh, what are you going to say? You know, nice costumes. Yeah, yeah. they seemed comfortable. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Anyway, so that's where you can find me. You can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars, and you can email us at ComTrackStars at Gmail dot com. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Now, there's very obviously a book which you should be reading this week on Audible. What book is that, John? Well, your homework for this week, dear listener is to go over to Audible and get Psycho, written by Robert Block, narrated by Paul Michael Garcia. And just in case you're on the fence about it, if you haven't seen the movie or know the story, it was a dark and stormy night when Mary Crane glimpsed the unlit neon sign announcing the vacancy at the Bates Motel. Exhausted, lost, and at the end of her rope, she was eager for a hot shower and a bed for the night. Her room was musty, but clean, and the manager seemed nice, if a little odd. This classic horror novel, which inspired the famous film by Alfred Hitchcock, has been thrilling people for 50 years. Yeah, it has. It thrilled me back in 98. I read it when the Gus Van Sant movie came out, and I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. And then yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm 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 listening now to to Audible. I'm listening to the to, to the Audible book, which I got off of Audible. And, yeah. and um, it's actually a, a really good. Like the the narrator is is really good. He's very sort of Anthony Perkins like, and uh, it's 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 really good. He's he's very good at um, pauses. If that makes uh, any sense, yeah, no, and that those are very important in this book. Yeah, very, very important. Knowing knowing how to deliver this book is, and, and it really is. Even if you've seen the movie, it's engrossing. Yeah, because there, it's one of those things where the differences are just slight enough that you. It's almost like uh, if you're if you're very familiar with the movie, it's almost like seeing like an alternate cut, or you know, like just a little bit different, and yeah. just enough to keep you keep you interested. Yeah, yeah, I would add to that, but I don't want to spoil. But it's gonna right. it's gonna be hard enough, you know, the next uh, the next couple of weeks because I, I since we are doing a comparison for the finale, I, yeah. I really want to try to look at the book on its own terms and look at the mm-hmm. movie on its own terms first, and sure. then do the comparison. And that's really hard to do when something like you know the movie is so like drilled into your brain you know oh, i mean yeah. it's like a part of you know american mythology right yeah well i mean yeah i mean it, it remade the landscape for horror movies for sure and i yeah. mean it's like it had such an influence that i mean one of my favorite horror movies of all time has always been the original halloween by john carpenter mm-hmm. and he named one of the characters after you know, one of the characters is named sam loomis as an homage to psycho which is what he was modeling Halloween after when it stars the daughter of the star of Psycho the ties are just unending yeah with that yeah so yeah 
definitely take 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 a look at that. You can get it on Audible for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. All right. All right. I'm excited. I'm gonna, yes. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to talk about these books and you movies. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with these. Yeah, yeah. If you If you haven't seen Psycho or Red Psycho, do yourself a favor and, and check them out for sure. Do oh, not yeah. use these these episodes of Star Trek as the basis for your uh, your um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> decision. No, no, no. no. Psycho, way better. Yes. Way better than anything we talked about this time around. Way better than pretty much anything we've ever talked about. There's a reason it's considered a classic. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So... And check out the Gus Van Sant Psycho, too, because it's awesome. No. All right. Well, on that note, uh, we will depart, but we will be back next week with Grace to discuss Robert Block's novel, Psycho. 